Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Coming up, Man City dominate out of the blue, North London is red and leading the flock of seagulls. Hello, it's Lindsay Hooper here. With me this week, it's the Athletic Charlotte Harper and Ali Rampling. Hello to you both. Hi, Lindsay. Hey. Ali, for you, this is a debut. Yes, thank you so much for having me on. This is my favourite podcast. I'm so thrilled. This is like my bake-off tent so thank you oh no thank you we're going to clip that up and use it (laughs) we'll use that over and over Uh, women's football weekend didn't disappoint I'm sure you'll both agree with that but I want to know your individual highlights Charlotte we'll go with you first Manchester City were a pleasure to watch that that was my highlight considering I was at uh, City Chelsea on Sunday they were and it's made things very interesting Ali how about yours I went to City Chelsea as a fan and I do love all the sort of the rivalries and stuff in women's football and the the crowds getting a bit more competitive and stuff. But there were these two young girls sitting in front of me and their uncle bought them both for the Man City shirt and it was just so cute. And yeah, so that was my (laughs) favourite. It's brilliant just to see how much the fans are engaged now. And, And actually, you talk about rivalry. I think Man City Chelsea in the women's game has got to be up there as as one of the best. And I try and explain this to people, and they're like, "How? How is Man City and Chelsea?" And I'm I'm always saying, "Well, if you look back in the history books, they've often been competing for domestic trophies, whether that be cups, um, the titles, and they've often gotten each other's way or had a say." And I think that's the case this time. You know, whether Man City go on now, and we we are going to probably talk about them, I'm sure, in this show about title contenders whether they go on to do that or not they are going to have a huge say in where the title goes this season Uh, we will come on to that a highlight of the week as well on the athletic an article that you must check out uh, katie wyatt's piece speaking to trans footballers about their experiences it is eye-opening insightful please give it a read Um, i did a piece with lucy clark recently for sky and honestly it's just incredible to see the work that's been going on behind the scenes to try and get a a league set up from her point of view but also the the other experiences that go into being a trans footballer if you've got a moment as well to share anything that you have enjoyed reading on the athletic uh, let us know on twitter it's hashtag athletic wfp we'll flag more of those articles that you enjoy Uh, later on in the show we'll be chatting to brighton's interim manager amy merricks about the lack of top female coaches so much more needs to be done we can't stop talking about it i think the conversation's gone quiet for a period of time but it's, it's not good enough you know i think we need the opportunities for females we need to support the females in those opportunities 
But first, let's start at the Academy Stadium where Man City hosted Chelsea. It's an awkward one for Buchanan. Coombs won it. It's him! And it's two! Move over, London. Manchester, a lead in the table. Uh, United went top. City leapfrogged Chelsea into second place with that 2-0 win, thanks to some brilliant goals from Philippa Angledahl and Lauren Hemp. And wow, I mean, we're all sat here this morning. I'm sure we've got off our socials and you just can't move for the fact that Manchester City now are being talked about as title contenders, Charlotte. And I don't think we've probably spoken about them enough, have we? No, Esme Morgan, after the match yesterday, was saying back in November, December, she was speaking to family members, we're going to win the league, just you wait. And there were sniggers and giggles from them and saying, come on, Esme, get real. (laughs) Um, But yeah, Manchester City back in contention and a really consummate performance from them. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Like when Gareth Taylor said after the the Manchester derby in was it November December time like oh yeah we're, we're in the title race and everyone was like yeah okay, okay Gareth and sort of yeah laughed a little bit but they've really sort of uh yeah thrown themselves back into contention but yeah I think on on Sunday they I thought they were good I didn't think they had to be outstanding to beat Chelsea I thought Chelsea sort of shot themselves in the foot quite a bit but yeah I thought the way City sort of pressed Chelsea high and you know that's that's how they scored the first goal and they just really kind of capitalised on on Chelsea's sluggishness really and yeah they're really really impressive. What do we think from a Chelsea point of view because Charlotte we had we had a listener actually Holly get in touch with us on socials and she said will Emma Hayes's obsession with winning the Champions League ultimately derail their title hopes this season and I think we can also plug into that question from Holly the fact that Millie Bright was rested and by all accounts it feels like she would have been able to play just listening and and tuning into some of the things that were said about her going off in the Champions League game clearly her knee was assessed I think she probably will play uh, against Leon. so do you think that Emma Hayes has held back her better starting 11 in preference for that game Emma Hayes was very quick to say Erin Cuthbert's fine and before you ask Millie Bright will be fine as well. So she put that one uh, to bed straight away for the Lyon game on Thursday. I think Emma Hayes is spinning a lot of plates and she wouldn't have wanted to unnecessarily risk uh, Millie Bright. She evidently has trust in Kadisha Buchanan and Magdalena Eriksson as their centre-back partnership. In regards to Holly's question... I understand why you'd say it's an obsession of Emma Hayes is to always want to win the Champions League because that's the one that's missing. But Hayes has always said, you know, the league is your bread and butter. And so I don't think she would have sacrificed the league for the Champions League. She's she's trying to win both. As for Chelsea's performance, they, they were sluggish. And Emma Hayes said that was due to their third away game in eight days, the fatigue from Leon and and the toll that that took on the players. But some of the basics just weren't there. I mean, clearing their lines for the second goal, perhaps that is down to fatigue. But yeah, in agreement with Ali, Manchester City were very good, but they didn't have to be that great against a really poor Chelsea side. 
I just wonder whether Chelsea are suffering somewhat from having this lone striker figure in Sam Kerr because of injuries to people like Pinilla Harder. And we now have a little bit of a worry over Erin Cuthbert, of course. But we are used to that higher press and it just wasn't working for them. Yeah, Manchester City took the game to Chelsea and they were very aggressive on the front foot. And Gareth Taylor was saying how in previous times it's been really difficult to overcome from a losing position whereas this you know they got an early goal and and kept the clean sheet I mean when you've got Chloe Kelly Lauren Hemp and Bunny Shaw that is a dominating and threatening front three and so to win the ball high up as they did for the first goal that's what they set out to do in regards to Chelsea, I mean, Michael Cox wrote a piece on Sam Kerr and, and the long ball over against Manchester United. It was one-dimensional, but it worked. This time it didn't. And City, they were they were very well organised at the back. I thought Alex Greenwood played exceptionally well alongside Steph Horton as well. And Yui Hasegawa in that deep-lying midfield role. There were real concerns after Walsh's departure. But Hasegawa, you know, turned... Cuthbert and Leupold's uh, on several occasions. Gareth Taylor actually said it wasn't her best game. She had one too many touches, but since September settled in really, really well. So City were aggressive and Chelsea really backed off and, and didn't turn up. I can't move for Usain Bolt either this weekend. <laughs> he posted a message for Manchester United, who are his team. So he posted a message for the women in their game and, and wished them well. And we know what happened there. They they went on to a barnstormer. But he also piped up with this one because he knows Bunny Shaw, fellow Jamaicans. But he's asked for Lauren Hempshirt. And after that finish, Ali, you can understand why. Oh, such a good goal. I mean, there were two two brilliant goals from Man City, the the angled angled one and and Hemp's goal as well. And yeah, well worth being sort of fangirled over by by Usain Bolt. Yeah, like Charlotte said, Hasegawa has been brilliant since September. I don't think she's lost a WSL game for Man City yet. And I think we're starting to see their kind of midfield three really start to take shape now. Obviously, they lost their midfield in the summer. And now Angledard's come in sort of January time and has really kind of added added something there, I think, with her kind of athleticism and, and the way she drives forward with the ball. And I think it's quite interesting. You've got her and Coombs there. Her and Laura Coombs have sort of both had to be quite patient at Man City. And now they're they're both enjoying a, a run in the team and have both been really important this side of Christmas. Yeah. What order will the top four finish? I'm going to put you both on the spot. Man City are the only top four team who don't have any games outside the league. Also, listener Sue points out that Chelsea and Man City have fewer games against top five clubs coming up. So we should bear that in mind. They've got two. Man United have got three. Arsenal have got four. But also... Should we discount Aston Villa in all of this? Listener Adam thinks, can they finish fourth? We should be discussing that. They play three top five teams in final games. Where are we? I'm going to start with Charlotte. You've had a chance to put all this together in your article as well. So where are you uh, landing on for the, the finish? You go back and forth with all the permutations. I am going to stick with Chelsea to win, Man City, although... They are reliant on Khadija Bunny Shaw. You know, you think one knock to her and and that would be a blow. Arsenal and then United. But (gasps) Chelsea, Man City, Arsenal, United. Okay, Ali. 
I think I'm going to go Chelsea, United, City, Arsenal. But I think that that City-Arsenal game next week is going to be huge. So if, if Arsenal win that, I'll change my mind again. I'm with you. I'm actually with you. Chelsea, United, City, Arsenal. But it, do, it does have a lot riding on that game between the two of them. The reason as well is just because Arsenal have got, at the moment, Champions League as well. And I do think they can turn around that 1-0 deficit. By the time a few days happens, this will all be out of date, won't it? Um, Because we'll know the outcome from Bayern Munich. But as we go into that, I've got a feeling they can turn that around, um, which would mean that they've got that to also focus on. So that's in my thinking. Aston Villa then, Adam, to come back to your point, I think they're going to have a huge say because they play three top five teams. And yeah, I, th- I think someone's going to slip up to Aston Villa out of these. Uh, have you got a bet that I've heard about with Chloe Morgan going on about this? A friendly bet. Chloe Morgan came into the office this morning and we were chatting about the title race. I've gone for Chelsea to win. She's gone for United. So um, one of us will be slightly out of pocket come the end of the WSL season. Mm. Well, if it's of any comfort, Charlotte, it sounds like Ali and I are on your wavelength with our predictions. On to Arsenal for a moment, because in seven WSL North London derbies, Spurs have yet to win a game and nothing changed this weekend. Williamson here, looking for Yes, it was a 5-1 demolition by Arsenal at Brisbane Road. With us to chat about it is The Athletic's new signing, Chloe Morgan, the former Spurs goalkeeper, who is now editor for women's football with us at The Athletic. Chloe, congratulations on that new role, first of all. Cheers. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a whirlwind couple of weeks, uh, but everyone's been so lovely and it just feels quite nice just to be able to tell everyone this is what I'm doing and to spend my entire day just uh, drinking coffee, talking about women's football and, and, and sort of sourcing out the narratives for, for the World Cup. So I couldn't have asked for a better job, really. No, that's the dream. That's what we all want to do, Chloe. Just talk women's football all day, have a few cups of tea. Knowing Charlotte, Charlotte's got good taste in tea, I reckon, if she's in the office. <laughs> have you, Charlotte? What you think that, Lindsay? Oh, I don't know, you just give me those vibes. You're on the road a lot, travel quite a bit. I, I reckon you probably take a little stash with you on your way. You know, the one that I can't stand is Lapsang, like the really mm. smoky one. It's just, no. Apart from that, anything well, goes. We don't know what she's like at making them yet, Chloe. No, we'll to, I'm, I'm yet to have a tea made by Charlotte. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little bit nervous about that now. <laughs> well, uh, let's talk sorted. <laughs> oh that's that's enough of all that tea chat I started something haven't I let's talk about the North London derby we've seen in WSL that this is usually a one-sided affair and it proved to be the case again what did you take away from this one Chloe there wasn't anything new, really. I think we, we've we seen Spurs kind of, uh, you know, be on such a bad form recently. They obviously had the win against Leicester City and that maybe looked like a, is this a potential resurgence? The new management, Vicky Jepsen seems to be coming in and sort of, um, you know, trying to create some kind of harmonious peace uh, amongst the squad. But I think um, going into this game, I, I expected that Arsenal were going to have a little bit of an easy one and that they did. Um, particularly in the second half. I mean, when I was just looking at some of the stats there, I mean, 37% of the possession with, with Spurs, five shots and only one on target. And I can't say that there's anything sort of surprising about, about that at all. Arsenal just looked on such good form, so strong, and Spurs have looked so weak of late. So, um, yeah, this this is um, this was to be expected. 
It felt, though, Chloe, when you're assessing Arsenal's performance in this and the way that they've been moving around their players, we saw that McCabe was back in the fullback role for this one. But Caitlin Ford, she is just clicking at the moment, hitting some form, and it felt like her match. Yeah, massively. I mean, Ida Valor obviously made three changes uh, in this team to the one that faced Bayern in the uh, in the Champions League earlier on. I mean, bringing in Palova, uh, Wubben Moy, and also, the, um, you know, Sabrina getting the uh, DeAngelis in the uh, starting starting eleven. I thought was amazing to, to see her get the opportunity. But yeah, I've got to agree. I mean, you know, Ford, uh, Blackstenius, Little, Marnham, all on the score, score sheet, which was amazing to see. I know there's been so much talk about, you know, the loss uh, with Mead and Miedemar, but I feel like Arsenal have really gotten over that. And actually, they're, they're now heavily reliant on, you know, some epic goal scorers there. They, they look so clinical. They looked very comfortable. The chance creation was coming in all different manners. Um, you know, and they were picking apart the Spurs defence. I mean, that, you know, the first goal alone, Leah Williamson threading that ball through uh, two of the two of the Spurs lines uh, for the Blackstinius goal was, was, was incredible. So they just look so confident up top. Chloe, how worried should we be for Spurs? Yeah, I think I'd be very worried. Um, I mean, this is the first season since they've come up from the championship that we've seen them be real relegation contenders. And I think if it wasn't for Leicester being on such bad form, I'd be looking to Spurs to be probably the favourites to be going down. I mean, I know they've got, they're a little bit at the top of the, the relegation pack, but they're still not clear by any means. It would only take one or two results for them to be at the bottom of the table again if, if Leicester do find some form towards the end of the season. But um, obviously, they've had a bit of a, a shake-up as well with, with Rianne Skinner leaving. Um, I don't think they've really found form. They brought in a you know a quarter of a million pound striker in, in January, and that doesn't seem to have changed uh, their their fortunes too much. I mean, obviously, England's you know helped. She's obviously gotten the score sheet a couple of times now and, and been a bit of a force for them. But I don't think she's been getting the deliveries that they really need to to improve their their uh, chance creation. So for me, I'm I'm incredibly worried about Spurs. Yeah, they 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 don't look good this year. What did you think about the decision to sack Rianne Skinner? And, you know, do, do you think she had it in her to sort of get Spurs out of the, the hole that they're in? I've got mixed views on this, really. I think um, from, from what I can hear, I don't think um, Skinner had the best of relationships with with some of the players. But I do think, in a, you know, when you have a, a squad that's gone from, you know, a big club like like Tottenham, you brought in, you know, some, some good signings in, in January, you do have the good fundamental players there to be achieving better results and you're not getting the best from your players when when uh, or clearly when, when you're not winning games and you're not winning games in you know um, succession over over nine nine um, fixtures there so I do think questions need to be asked but at the same time I mean they had they sacked her just before that Leicester game and I did think you know maybe they should have waited for that Leicester game to see where the fortunes were going to turn around I mean if they'd have lost that game that really would have been early doors probably the nail in the coffin but yeah, I do, I do feel a little bit sorry for her. I don't think the players are, are sort of performing as, as well as they should be doing, but I, I don't think, um, yeah, she was the right fit for, for Spurs ultimately. Thank you very much for joining us, Chloe. You can give us that review of Charlotte's cup of tea making at some point. I, I do understand you've got a little bit of a, uh, is it a bet that you've got going on? Oh, yes. Yes, we do. We had a big bet going on this morning about who was going to win the uh, the WSL. Um, it was there's twenty pounds riding on it, so it's uh, it's you know it's pretty big, pretty big wager actually. <laughs> That's a lot of tea. That is a lot of tea. <laughs> we will move on though now. Thank you very much, Chloe, to the Merseyside derby. Hines involved. He's had a crack. Stengel's in there. Still Stengel. Superb from Curtis Stengel to draw Liverpool level. And you have to 
In Liverpool, over 22,000 fans came to watch the one-all draw at Goodison Park. The Athletics, Kiva O'Neill is with us to digest this one. Kiva, I'm sorry, because if you were there, I didn't see you, but there were a lot of people. No, I wasn't there, and I did see you on the telly strutting your stuff. That was great to watch. <laughs> we should mention there was there was an in-game interview. There was a half-time interview. There were players strapped up for the warm-ups. There were some cameras as well in the dressing rooms. So, yeah, you got to see more than usual if you were watching on telly, Kiva. Yeah, I was kind of glad I missed it in the end. I was gutted the first, thinking I can't make it, devastated, but then... You know, that um, it all felt very futuristic, maybe the way the game's heading. Mm, yeah, quite possibly. Now, about the rivalry here going into this one, I wanted to pick up with this first because to have 22,000 there suggests to me that there is a rivalry in this WSL fixture already, but sometimes making that transition over from the men's game, it doesn't go without saying because people obviously have that fandom where they follow players. And Matt Beard afterwards said, we have to be careful with rivalry. We don't want it to become like the men's game. Uh, the last thing we want is to create an atmosphere where it's unsettling for kids. So I wanted to start with your opinion on that. Yeah, he'd said similar sort of things in his press conference in the build-up to that game. And I kind of understood where he was coming from in terms of, you know, it's a friendly and welcoming environment pretty much, isn't it? The women's game, it feels, you know, always like quite a ni- nice atmosphere to go to, you know, if you're a family and you've you've got kids and stuff I definitely think it's probably a game you, you know you'd look to go to more than maybe you know the men's side of it I think that's what he was kind of getting at a little bit and I understand that I do think there is a rivalry and as you say you know lots of fans there that is building and definitely if Liverpool had a one I mean you you would have seen those scenes and I thought they should have really you know it was a bit frustrating watching it because it just felt like, you know, with the away end there and you're seeing Shanice van der Sanden coming on and sort of pumping her arms up at the away end. And I thought, yeah, this rivalry is well and truly building. All right, Liverpool were out of the WSL for a little bit and that kind of, you know, puts it on the back burner. But yeah, from Friday, I wasn't even there and I could feel it. One thing that doesn't help with rivalries are on-the-pitch decisions that may aggravate fans somewhat. Uh, Jess Park had a goal ruled out for a clear handball. There was another big call in this game, I think even more so, that could leave Liverpool aggrieved. And that was that goal that was scored that was then chalked off. It was apparently, Kiva, for a foul on the goalkeeper. What was your view on that? Hmm. Yeah, straight away I was like, that's not a foul. And then even watching it in slow motion on the replay, it was like, well, it's definitely not a foul. And even watching it, you know, it was sped up. It was, yeah, it just, it looked strange didn't it I don't think it was anything really you know Courtney Brosnan had an absolutely fantastic game I think was Everton's best player but that was a moment where she absolutely appealed didn't she and the ref just yeah blew up and I felt like it was it was an important moment in the game for Liverpool Liam Robe never really gets in on the goals very often for her yes I did scored a cracker you know at Goodison Park to maybe you know clinch Liverpool the win and then, obviously, it was ruled out. Kerry Holland, I think it was a bit of a nudge, wasn't it? I mean, you've seen them given before, so it wasn't a massive shock. But just, I think, the replays, that's what killed it a bit because it was like, oh, you know, the Liverpool fans absolutely frustrated by that because it just felt like there wasn't too much in it. All right, maybe unsighted the goalkeeper a little bit, but it just felt like it wasn't enough to rule out the goal entirely. And it was a great bit of work from Liverpool, who had some quite interesting set pieces, I thought, throughout that game and played really well. I thought Jess Park's goal, which was ruled out, was absolutely fantastic as well. 
But yeah, that was just frustrating, I think, for Liverpool. But I think the main thing Liverpool will take from that is that they actually, you know, gave Everton a good game for once. We're not really used to seeing that given the results earlier in the season. Yeah, Kiefer, how how far do you think Liverpool can go under Matt Beard? Because they just this season they seem to be quite kind of maddeningly inconsistent. Like they'll give they'll give Chelsea a couple of really good games and then they'll they'll lose heavily to, to Man United or struggle against Reading. Yeah, it's been a bit of an up and down one, really. You know, it starts off with that win against Chelsea, like you mentioned, and then Leanne Kearn and gets injured. And for me, that felt like a sort of big moment. I think she's going to be back later um, next month, which will be good for Liverpool because I, I knew she was going to, you know, contribute in terms of scoring goals. But I think Casey Stengel's had to do a lot of work on her own up top. And Liverpool have sort of been, you know, bobbing up and down in games I feel like sometimes the performances you know what you're going to get from them and it's going to be solid and then other times you know they beat Redden and then I think they got beat by Leicester it was just sort of like that kind of summed them up a little bit but I think the victory against Tottenham recently sort of set a bit of a marker for you know what they can do and what kind of performances I know Tottenham are struggling a little bit but it just felt like a bit of a turning point towards the end of this season I felt like at Goodison Park had they got over the line there it just would have you know consolidated the feeling that the, this team is sort of growing, gelling together a little bit. And I mean, the main thing is it does feel like now they're almost safe. They feel safe to me looking at that sort of points difference there to, to Leicester at the bottom. But obviously still plenty of games to go and a lot can happen in that time. But I just feel like, you know, this is sort of the main thing Liverpool wanted to do was stay up. And I feel like they're about to do that. So I think next season now in the summer will be important in terms of going forward for Liverpool. Kiva, we've been speaking about the title race and the top four and how close it is. How far off do you think Everton and Liverpool are for closing that gap at the top? Yeah, it's something that I want them both to do, to be honest, because you think Everton last season, I expected a lot from them in terms of, you know, sort of challenging a bit more. And you've seen how Man United, how well they've done it, you know, even at a point where maybe them and Everton were at a similar level and now it just feels like they've, you know, obviously excelled forward. For Liverpool, I just don't know, really. Uh, I think they need to invest a lot more in this squad. And, you know, I think Everton have recruited quite well and I think that showed this season at times when they've sort of recovered a little bit. But Liverpool, I think there still needs to be a lot more investment in terms of, you know, players, infrastructure to get them back to challenge them at the top of the WSL. It still feels a little a little bit far off for me, but I think the main thing is just sort of consolidating the place in the top flight. I think that's been really important. Kiva, thank you so much for your time and for coming on the show again. Thank you very much. In the other games, Man United went top with a 4-0 win over West Ham. Do go to The Athletic to read Carl Anker's piece on that match. Plus, Aston Villa 5-5 past Leicester City and Reading pulled back two goals to make it a 2-2 draw against Brighton. Earlier, I caught up with Brighton's interim manager, Amy Merricks. Amy, great to have you on. Uh, coming off the back of that 2-2 draw against Reading at the weekend, you were 2-0 up at half-time. Talk me through what that post-match dissection was like. Yeah, obviously reviewing it again this morning. Uh, still feel very similar to the way I and we, I think, felt after the game that we absolutely should have won it. We definitely did more than enough to win the game, despite the moment of madness for, for the two goals, because... The two goals that we conceded, I think they were 
losses of concentration and um, in this league you get punished for that as as Reading did do so but looking back at it and reviewing it again we certainly did more than enough to to win the game given the amount of clear-cut opportunities that we had to score so we need to be more clinical but the performances are getting there we're really positive about the direction we're still moving in. Thanks for explaining that to us. And I know it must have been a frustrating one for you, but you've had a bit more time with the players now. I say more time, Amy. It's a very unusual position that you're in because you've been interim manager twice. Are are the challenges when you're interim compared to obviously if there's a full-time head coach in charge? Yeah, I think it's different to getting a job permanently because I think you're almost thinking more short-term. I actually think this time around, the second time around, we're we're trying to think more medium term as well. I, I learned a lot from the first experience just before Christmas. We had a lot of reflection time. I feel that we're going about it in maybe a, a little bit differently this time around. We have no time to waste. We've got to make sure that the team and the players are performing. But absolutely, with regards to the comparisons to having a job permanently, you have to weigh up the balance of getting performances and results as well as trying to maybe put your stamp on it a little bit. Yeah. So in such a short period of time as well, and, and with the fact of where we are at this moment in time in the league, that's a difficult balance. So we have to go after the priorities really quickly. Um, I have to say the players have been excellent. They're a real joy to work with. Yeah, I'm really enjoying that part of it. You are doing the UEFA Pro Licence course at the moment. It's run by the FA's education arm, England Football Learning. Do they do any modules or any part of this to discuss being an interim charge? They don't actually. Maybe they should now, but... (laughs) (laughs) They might introduce it now as another syllable. Absolutely. I'll be a key speaker. (laughs) Um, No, you know, they don't, but the, the course is centred around not just the permanent position of the head coach, but what the game throws up and and being in interim charge is a part of what the game throws up at random points. I think as well as that, the other coaches on the course have all experienced periods where they've been in interim charge. I know um, kind of cross paths with Ryan Mason early on in the course and and he was sharing his experiences um at Tottenham being an interim charge. So all those conversations, you know, they help myself in particular think about the challenges and maybe different ways to go about it. I speak to lots of the other coaches on the course all the time. I'm, I'm really keen to, to always get opinions, to learn as much as I can, to improve myself. The other bonus is, you know, the tutors are, are incredible. I, I spend a lot of time on the phone to my, my personal tutor from the course, Steve Greaves. He's been excellent. And, you know, he he doesn't he doesn't tell you what to do or what he thinks, but he'll kind of guide me and remind me of key points from the course that could help me at different times. So, yeah, trying to soak it all up. I'm not going to lie. It's a real balance to do the coursework alongside being an interim charge. But I guess that's just part of the challenge at the moment. And it gives me an opportunity to try and apply the things that I would do if I was in permanent charge. Exactly. I mean, you clearly have that support structure in place with this course and, and you've talked about how you've managed to to lean on others, get advice, and, and that's going to be crucial to that. And you also spoke about something earlier, Amy, that I wanted to pick up on, which was implementing your own style. You talked about that. And I imagine that's a really difficult thing because you must be seeing this in some way as an audition for the main role because you've you've got the chance to have this one-on-one time with the players, 
coach them through till the end of the season, hopefully. So would you would you say that you've managed to do that yet or is that still a work in progress? I think it's a work in progress. Part part of my, my philosophy is to amplify the strengths of the team, to develop individuals. You know, I've, I have methodology around that, that try and implement. But the reality is we're going after results at the moment. So the part of the way that I see the game and the way I work in terms of amplifying strengths of the group, I think it ties in with where we are at the moment. But it's certainly the role with Brighton at the moment isn't about me. It's about the team and it's about getting us out of the situation we are in and picking up results. So it's a balance. I think the performance yesterday uh, demonstrates some real key principles that we've been going, going after. And there's some really positive parts of that performance to take with us. So, but it's definitely a balance, Lindsay. And, you know, I'm really keen to get across. This isn't about me. It's about the team and it's about us picking up results as quickly as possible. When a manager does depart like Hope, who's been there in situation for so long, I mean, it was five years that she was in charge. Did you have to do any dissection before you could start building or were you able to just build from what she'd left? Oh, build from what she left. I mean, Hope is an excellent coach, an excellent manager, an excellent mentor and friend. I, I don't have enough words in my vocabulary to speak highly enough of Hope Hell we would have been crazy to rip up the work that had already been done. I mean, I was a part of that as well. And so were various other members of staff in the team. Yeah, we would have been absolutely crazy to disregard that. I think the foundations and the legacy that Hope left will remain for a very long period of time. So we built from that. Obviously, we've had to tweak some bits. Obviously, we've had some new players come in. We've also had new members of staff come in. We've also have had the changes through Yen's, you know, there's some elements of what Yen's brought in that we went, okay, quite like that. That's working. Yep. That was needed. And we build on that as well. I think, you know, there's no denying the good work that's gone on for so many years and we would have been crazy to, to remove that and start again. So we're building on it. Uh, we've got a lot of processes in place that we need to continue with, but I can certainly see improvements. I hope everyone can see that. I think the players feel it. I think we gutted after yesterday, but we have to use that anger now to drive us towards getting the points elsewhere. Another part of this role is you speaking about female coaches, Amy, and I know you've been asked about it several times. It's going to come your way because you look at the dissection of the league right now and there are five of 12 WSL coaches that are women. You know, hope leaving meant that there was one departing. Thankfully, you're there and, and you've taken up that spot now. But why do you think there are so few? Why do you think there are so few female head coaches? I just don't think they're getting the opportunities, Lindsay. I've, I think there's plenty of good female coaches in the game. And I don't think they are being recognised or given the opportunities to flourish or the support to flourish. I think it's so challenging from my experience alone, I recognise this, for any female coaches to get the appropriate opportunity at this point. More needs to be done. I think that can start with getting more female representation at board level. I think then from, from underneath, you know, I'm doing some great work with a powerhouse project where we're trying to bring up uh, 12 female coaches and make sure they're ready to implement themselves onto the game in a real positive way. But so much more needs to be done. We can't stop talking about it. I think the conversation's gone quiet for a period of time, but it's, it's not good enough. You know, I think 
we need the opportunities for females. We need to support the females in those opportunities. It's really difficult though, isn't it, Amy? I mean, you're right there in the thick of it and have probably got a better viewpoint than any of us. But from an outside level looking in, sometimes it feels like women are taken less seriously. I don't know whether you would agree with that, but you look at the ages, you're the youngest serving manager in WSL and I believe you're 29. And you look at that and you wonder if there is something to do with the attachment to what we believe from a gender point of view women offer in that coaching role, or is it reflective as well of the boardroom and the decision makers and the fact there aren't enough women there? Yeah, I think there's I think there's several elements to dissect there. I think there's a step before even the head coach position where we need to get more female coaches into the game. Yeah. Assistant coaches. I think, you know, and I don't mind speaking openly about this. I think, you know, we have to change the perception of female coaches in the game in general, across the women's, across the men's game. I've come across so many excellent female coaches that have ended up falling out of the game because they don't feel like they're taken seriously. Um, And that's really sad. It's a really sad fact. The work that Hope Power's done, Emma Hayes has done in leading the way is great, but unless they are given the opportunities on the stage and the support that they they need to thrive, then we're going to constantly be having the same conversations. Mm. How we resolve that, I think it's to start with getting more female representation at board level and even in technical director roles. You know, seeing Polly Bancroft now move across to Manchester United, that's that's going to help. Having Zoe Johnson with us, that's going to help. But that sporting director level also needs to be female representation. So there's so much to do, so much to do. And I agree with you. I, I do sometimes think we're maybe not taken as seriously as we should be. You mentioned Polly Bancroft and Manchester United. I'm sure that's a team that you're dreaming about at the moment because not only are you prepping for them at the weekend, you're going to face them in the FA Cup semi-finals as well. Are you all Manchester United out on your revision? <laughs> I'm dreaming about beating them. I'm not dreaming <laughs> about them. <laughs> no, yeah, look. Um, yeah, we have a challenging couple of weeks coming up. We have big games. Playing Manchester United twice in three weeks, some people would find daunting. I find it exciting. I think it's going to be really interesting. And like I said, I think we've got a real point to prove now. We've got to pick up points. And the the best bit about it is I think we're all just head down, players and staff, and we've got a job to do. So head down, let's, let's give ourselves the best chance to get something out of the game. Good luck for the weekend, Amy. I've got so many more questions I could ask you. I could speak to you all day, but we do need to get the show out. So I will let you go as well. Back to your prep for Monday. No problem. (laughs) Thank you so much, much. Lindsay. Cheers. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. That was me speaking to Brighton's Amy Merricks. In Europe, my prediction came true as Barcelona won El Clasico 1-0. Harriet was right as well. Bayern did beat Wolfsburg 1-0 with a penalty from Georgia Stamway. Uh, They're now top of the table. And speaking of European football, Charlotte, you broke the news that France have chosen a new head coach. Please tell us all, because this has been in an article and it's been a story you've covered for many weeks. 
Yes, so Hervé Renard is set to become the new uh, France women's head coach, replacing uh, Corinne Diacre, who was sacked by the Football Federation. This is on the condition that he ends his contract with Saudi Arabia because he is the current Saudi Arabian uh, men's head coach. But it looks very likely that Renard, who has no relation to Wendy Renard. I was going to ask. Yeah, I was wondering whether yeah, Wendy, after after walking away, decided I'll, I'll pick up the phone and ring some of my relatives, see who's going to take this on. No, no relation. And yes, the assistant manager, Eric Blake, is also due to be his number two. And that announcement is imminent. Mm. And do we think that there's going to be colossal change when it comes to the World Cup squad? Are we going to see players come back? From those people that I've spoken to, they've told The Athletic that it's you know a clean slate for everyone fresh start and the coach will pick the best team on the basis of what he sees but those players who have been omitted or had previous issues with the French Federation and the football team which have been long and uh, well documented you can read my piece on The Athletic uh, they will be given a, a fresh start and Wendy Renard is available for selection we know that she published a um, social media post last month saying that she wasn't able to take part in this World Cup because of the current system. Um, But she said, you know, she's open to coming back to the French team. Well, thank you for the update there. And whilst we're talking things, France, you were over in Lyon for the Chelsea game. And you've got a brilliant story for all of us who love Emma Hayes already. Just tell us what happened, what what she offered you. So as is quite normal in France, there were strikes because of the new uh, pension reforms and retirement ages being lifted. And so my flight was cancelled. I found this out just uh, after the match. And Emma Hayes came into the press conference and said, are you you guys okay getting home? And everyone was thinking, well, it's not that bad, is it? And we then realised that um, my flight was cancelled. And so Emma Hayes did offer me um, a spot on the player's plane home, which was very, very kind of her. Unfortunately, because of um, all the news that's coming out in France and of the French team, I had already commitments the next morning, so I couldn't. So you weren't going to turn up for your flight anyway. I could. Well, my flight was Thursday evening, so that was cancelled, and wow. so I was. I didn't know if I was going to be able to get another flight. So Emma Hay said, "Come on our flight," but I had to follow through with these meetings on Thursday morning. So Susie Rack from The Guardian uh, <laughs> took the spot um, and, yeah. Had a, so you could, uh, you could have had an article from all the antics on the plane and instead Susie Rack will be writing that one up, won't she? Well, no, I think what happens on the plane stays on the plane. Oh, okay. So, okay. Um, yeah, but uh, that's just the kind of nature of Emma Hayes. She's a good egg. That's a great one. Uh, well, Leon have to overcome that 1-0 deficit to Chelsea when they go to Stamford Bridge for the Champions League second leg on Thursday. Arsenal are 1-0 down against Bayern, who they host on Wednesday at the Emirates. This is the Athletic Women's Football Podcast with Lindsay Hooper. Coming up in the UK, it's the last WSL weekend before the international break. In the big matchup, Arsenal host Man City. I can't wait for this one, guys. Are you thinking off the back of the Chelsea win, confidence is going to be so high, there will be no stopping Man City? Charlotte? 
It's really interesting how Manchester City respond after setbacks. So they were knocked out by Aston Villa uh, in the FA Cup and then have really reacted well against Chelsea. So it's keeping that fire in, in your belly. But yeah, what a tasty fixture this is next weekend. And of course, Arsenal have Bayern midweek, so they've got an extra th- fixture to think about. And that can play two ways. If Arsenal have a positive result against Bayern Munich, you pick up that momentum and it's just one big game after the other and you're rolling on it. Other times you'll say, oh no, you know, we were tired and fatigued and we didn't turn up. Um, so it, I think Wednesday's game will be really interesting for Arsenal in, in how they perform against Manchester City on Sunday. They certainly do have a lot more on their plate and then you just don't know as well. There could be injuries in that game. Um, There's still a lot to be decided for Arsenal, whereas Man City will have all focus on that game. How about the the other side of this then, Ali, with Chelsea? Because defeat to Manchester City, they've got European football as well this week at Stamford Bridge against Lyon, as we've talked about. And then they face Villa away. And, And I think Aston Villa shouldn't be taken lightly at the moment, should they? No, Aston Villa have been brilliant this season. You look at the the signings they've made and just, I think they scored about 13 goals last season and, you know, they scored five at the weekend. They've been fantastic. Rachel Daly's obviously been a great signing and I think Kenza Daly's been so, so great this season. I really love watching her play. So that's that's definitely a, it will be a tricky fixture for Chelsea. They won 3-1 at Kings Meadow earlier in the season, but they certainly didn't have it all their own way. And, you know, they've got a big 90 minutes, at least 90 minutes against Lyon to defend their 1-0 league in midweek. And I think we saw against Man City sort of how how fatigued and sluggish they were. And, you know, Emma Hayes made two first half changes because things just weren't working. And a lot of that, you know, she, she placed a lot of the blame at that was because of how they felt after midweek. So I think, yeah, I think Sunday's game against Villa could definitely be somewhere where Chelsea could potentially drop points. Mm. Uh, relegation wise Leicester against Reading does stick out do you both think if Leicester could get a win there then the relegation the relegation issue is yet to be resolved but if they lose then are you starting to think that they'll go down if they lose Leicester in big trouble but a win would be huge that would take them up to 10 points and then they're just fighting for every game so yeah Leicester have to win next weekend yeah, definitely. If they if they get a win, that will sort of drag Reading back into it as well. They'd only be a point off Reading, and they could leapfrog Brighton if Brighton don't pick any pick up any points at the weekend. So that's going to be a huge, huge game. Well, we will leave that one there and reconvene. Ali, thank you for making your debut. Thanks so much for having me. Brilliant, great to have you on. And Charlotte, we will we will wait to find out the conclusion of yours and Chloe Morgan's bet. But yeah, I'm glad that you've taken it seriously in the office and throw some tea in there as well. Tea making duties. I'll do my best, Linz. Good, good, good. Uh, That is it for this week's Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Uh, A big thank you as well to producer Sophie. Uh, Thanks to you for listening. Stay in touch on socials using the hashtag AthleticWFP or you can go to our handles as well and send messages via The Athletic FC and at Offside Rule Pod. Goodbye for now. The Athletic.